This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. My name is Jake Rowan, and today I am joined by Melanie Lay, who is a senior product manager at SurveyMonkey, where she oversees um, teams working on survey creation and all the problems contained in that problem space. Melanie, welcome to the podcast. We're super excited to have you. Hi, Jake. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I think just to, to get things rolling, we'd love to learn a little bit more about your background and what do you do? Uh, what do you do at SurveyMonkey? Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So my background to product management, I think is like pretty non-traditional, but I think there's no like traditional way to get into product management nowadays. I actually majored in like health and societies and also like in English postmodern poetry. So very like not from a technical, like, you know, science statistics, MBA type background. Um, And I actually started in philanthropy consulting, basically like kind of telling people like Bill Gates what to do with their money and how to make the right investments. Um, And I think how I got into product management was very much like just doing a little bit of everything, like doing some account management, doing operations, content strategy. I was the general manager of a category at NerdWallet. So I oversaw like our SEO, SEM, editorial content strategy. And I actually think that's probably like one of the easier ways to get into product management is if you come from, say, like a quote, non-traditional background, um, kind of do a little bit of everything, like do a little bit of marketing, learn a, a bit about engineers, learn a bit about design. Coursera really had this uh, where I worked as an account manager had like two floors in the office. The first floor was like business people, marketing people, and like account managers. And the second floor was like engineering, product design, et cetera. And it was this very much like this first floor, second floor divide. And I was like the one person from the first floor who would like wander up to the second floor and like hang out with the engineers and the designers and be like, tell me what you do, explain what's happening here. And I think having that general curiosity really helps um, shape like a general understanding, right? Because that's kind of what being a product manager is, is like knowing a little bit about everything, like enough to be dangerous, not enough to do the job, but enough to guide people who are doing the job. Yeah, totally. No, I I love that. I think the more more product people um, that we talk to, I think that that theme is very consistent. It's like know enough to be dangerous, know enough to be a generalist and know enough to help guide decision-making. I think... Having had that exposure to all the different problem areas, like how did you land in product? Yeah, I think a lot of people want to land in product because they see product and they're like, ah, product, that's where the decisions get made. Um, And for me, like early in my career, that was a big like ambition and motivation for me was like, I want to like lead things. I want to handle strategy. I want to like oversee a team of people and kind of direct things. Um, and in a lot of ro- like companies, that role is in product, right? It's kind of the decision-making, prioritization, strategic thinking, also a jack-of-all-trades type role. 
Um, and at NerdWallet, my role is actually structured as a general manager role of a category. And they eventually like changed the title and just called it growth product managers. So it was like almost overnight, I just like kind of got this product manager title. That's um, a pretty fancy title. That's kind of a hot commodity right now. Nice. Way to yeah. land it. Landed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, Best way to get a PM title is just to go through a reorg. That's how you do it. Totally. Yeah, I think for context, that's that's basically how I landed in the product as well. I mean, I, I got my start in, in customer success and I learned the market. I learned the product. I learned our customers and how they all interact. And when a product role opened up, the company thought I was kind of a natural fit. Um, kind of the rest is history. I think I'm still trying to learn as we go a little bit too. But yeah, I think I think if there's one thing amongst product people when they talk about getting into their roles. I think one of the things I've found is there's no conventional path. And a lot of them don't come out of like business school and jump straight into a product career. I think it's probably more common to have a story like yours or potentially mine as well, where they started in some other part of the business and then found their way into the product role and whatever whatever means that made sense for, for the business at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I talked to so many people who are like, please help me break into product. I really want to get yeah. it. Like all of the job descriptions are like, like we prefer if you have an MBA or a statistical or an engineering or a STEM background. And I'm like, that's not really important, is it? Right. Like I also did account management and it was like, that's actually way more valuable because you gain so much empathy for the customer. You know what their problems are, you know how they use the product in some ways, like coming from account management is like way better than coming from like a really technical background. Right. Because that's really what you need to succeed from the technical side. You can kind of learn whatever you need to know. Right. You can know enough to understand and like size, like how hard is this going to be to do? But you don't like I think the customer empathy is so much more important. That's like something that can't be taught. Yeah, totally agree, Melanie. That's awesome. I think that leads us into um, really one of the questions I, I wanted to chat with you about today. And it's really about inclusivity within products. And I know you've been a huge champion throughout your career, but I think especially at SurveyMonkey in bringing, making inclusivity in product development and in products that you launch a big part, a part of your focus. Um, tell us about, tell us about that. Like how have you approached that um, as a product manager and as a product leader within, within your organization? Yeah, definitely. I think in terms of like the products and problems, if I try to think about an overarching theme, I've worked in so many industries. Like I really started in ed tech at Coursera. I worked in personal finance at NerdWallet. I worked at Yumly, which was this food tech startup that got acquired by Whirlpool. And now I'm at SurveyMonkey. So if you look across those, those are all like super different industries. But I think like what really motivates me is like making people's lives like a bit easier, right? Like you're empowering people through like a really stressful task, whether it's cooking, buying life insurance, sending out a survey. Um, and so that for me, I think is really motivating. And in terms of SurveyMonkey, like it might not come to mind as like the most sort of like social good product. But if you really think about it, so many decisions and policies that we make are based on like the feedback and the data that we collect, right? So like so many policies in terms of like, you know, how how we want to run our cities, how we want to do housing, how we want to like feed people, like a lot of it is based on like data collection. And right now data collection is really, really biased towards like specific types of people, right? Like the people who are the loudest, the squeaky wheels, the people at the community meetings. And so something that really was important for me at SurveyMonkey was like, how do we like make it more equal in terms of getting the feedback we want from everyone that we care about. 
um, and sort of using that to shape our decisions so that we can make better and more inclusive decisions. And so some things at SurveyMonkey that I'm working on, I'm really excited to work with our data science team, is that we're actually working on ways to reduce bias in survey questions, because that is like a huge cause of like collecting bad data that leads to bad decisions. So something we're looking at is how do we actually flag questions that um, use language that we find harmful, right? Like as a company, we've actually switched out all of our usage of the words whitelist, blacklist, master, main, and then the term grandfathering in. Because those terms, if you think about them, have like a really racialized context. Um, grandfathering in particular is actually based on like this old legacy of like slavery and like being grandfathered in as like a white person to be able to vote. And that's really where grandfathered comes from. And we use that so much in product and tech, that word of like grandfathered into an existing plan. So one of them is like the language that you use, especially for a survey question really matters. It impacts how data is collected, how the respondents feel about themselves. And so what we're trying to do is actually say, hey, like, like you might not know this, but like the question that you're using is actually like has some problematic language. Do you want to think about like reframing it, actually building machine learning models that flag those problematic or like potentially like racist or sexist questions and saying, hey, like maybe you should reframe your question. A really common one is like, why are men more successful than women? Right. It's like not grounded in truth. And it's really like bias. Mm -hmm. And if you're a woman and you're a respondent taking that survey, you, it's actually like actively harmful to you as a respondent. And so, sure. you know, like you should be asking, like, what traits do you think make people successful generally? Um, right. So that's something we're really prioritizing as a company because we just like really care about diversity and inclusion. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think I can see the connection between those product goals and then the overall business objectives of a company like SurveyMonkey. But Help us make the connection there. Like, how does inclusivity help SurveyMonkey achieve its business goals? And then more broadly speaking, for, for listeners who may not be in, in a similar space, like, how can they be thinking about inclusivity as really a strategic um, value add or as a, as a strategic um, pillar in terms of making sure that it is included in the product strategy in the pursuit of business outcomes? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, I'm really personally motivated by like, this is just the right thing to do. Yeah. Right? But I think a lot of times, obviously, you need to put some kind of like dollar value to it or, you know, right. some kind of business justification because we live in this like very capitalistic society that prioritizes that over some like over the well being of people sometimes. Yeah. And so how I think about it, inclusivity is like a few things. One is like the more people you include, the bigger your user base is, right? We're always talking yeah. about improving the top of the funnel, like getting more people in the top of the funnel. The more people that can use your product, obviously, like the top of your funnel is really going to expand. So something we think about is like, how do we make our product more accessible to people who have disabilities? I think like one in five people in America actually identifies as having some kind of disability. And so we've thought a lot about like from a survey respondent perspective, how can somebody who, you know, is vision impaired go through our survey and actually take it with a screen reader? Then you can reach like a much bigger audience because you're actually... Totally being able to reach more people. And so if you had to convert that to pure business metrics, you'd be like, we can ex like increase our top of funnel, more users, higher response rate. Like those things do directly translate to the business metrics that we try to optimize for. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. I think that 20% number is probably a bigger number than people think. Mm -hmm. um, and as, as people dive into the numbers, I'm sure it'd be like, oh, wow, there's like, there's a bigger segment of the population that we could serve um if we if we really approach this um 
deliberately in, in product development. I think one thing that that people may be thinking about is there are probably objections to inclu- to really focusing on inclusivity um, over other other things, maybe, maybe conversion rates, or I'm just throwing out a couple other kind of more more typical goals. Um, how I guess two questions. One, how, what kind of objections have you heard over over your career when you've really pushed for inclusivity as, as being a key pillar of, of your product development strategy? Um, and then two, how did you overcome those objections? Yeah, I think the top one will always come from people who are like, yeah, this is nice, but like, how does it make us money? Right, right? exactly. Um, or like, we're going to do something that prioritizes like this over that. Um, yeah. And I think a few things kind of come to mind of like, what ends up pushing the envelope? One is that like, this is just what customers expect, right? This is what users like expect from companies now. There has always been like a mm-hmm. consumer trend to lean more and more towards like, say like eco-friendly retail goods or like fairly made goods. And I think that will come across too in the digital software space is like people don't want to engage with companies that they feel like aren't doing right by their users. Like Facebook is a really classic example of like their personal brand was like really, really damaged because of like these ways that they showed, hey, we didn't have users' best interest in heart at heart. So it is like a really long-term play. But if you think about like the practical side of things, right? Like disability and accessibility, for example, there's like actually a lot of legal requirements there. And those legal requirements, if you pass them, make you more likely to be a vendor for more solutions. Right? So right. Part of it is like, hey, we expand the business opportunity because we pass like these certain accessibility standards, and mm-hmm. therefore you can actually mm-hmm. use us to reach these particular audiences. So you always kind of need to figure out like that angle of like, how does this expand your business opportunity, either by better meeting customer expectations or like improving the customer sentiment? Like no one wants to mm-hmm. see like the tweet that blows up of like, hey, I got a survey and it asked me these really offensive things, right? Like that would be like my right, worst right. And so it's like, it's actually like a customer sentiment and like NPS, like booster or like a prevention of something really bad happening. That's also like another angle you can get at it from. Yeah. And also, I mean, the other thing I'm hearing too is I guess in, in kind of like a, a B2B2C context that I think SurveyMonkey plays in quite a bit is you're also protecting your customers too from, from having that kind of moment of embarrassment in the public domain, yeah, which, which may also be something to, to promote. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that, that's, that's fantastic. I, I hope our, our listeners can take that away and think about inclusivity in, in their own product development practices. Um, I think more broadly speaking, I think it's, it's a pretty well-known um, thing at this point that technology as an industry has a big inclusivity and diversity problem. Um, how, I know you've been very active both within the product development process, which is what we've been talking about, but also kind of changing culture as well within the, the organizations that you've been a part of. Um, how have you, how have you gone about that? How have you found success in driving that change? Yeah. SurveyMonkey was actually like the first large company I worked at that was big enough to have like a diversity, equity, and inclusion office, and also have to nice. employee resource groups. So we have resource groups, you know, for like Blacks, people who identify as Latinx, um, people who, um, you know, are like, I'm the co-lead of one of our um, Asian and Pacific Islander employee resource groups. Um, we also have them for like caregivers, right? People who are parents or taking care of their own parents. Um, so there are these different like employee resource groups. Um, and I think something that's really come up recently is like, just the massive number of like attacks on Asians, especially in America, but also in other countries, um, based, uh-huh. 
you know, like on this like really hate fueled rhetoric about coronavirus. And it's just really, really hard to stomach and to like listen to and to kind of survive through. Right. And I have actually like formed some community chats with my colleagues where we kind of like all get in on Zoom over lunch and we're like, hey, we're like really scared. Like I'm scared of going outside. I'm scared of having Mm -hmm. my parents go outside. There's just like this real fear there. And so part of what we can really do that I've been trying to tell myself and also tell people is like, you may be like really consumed by a bonfire of rage and disappointment and anger and fear. But for me, like the most effective thing to do is like, yes, like you need to sit with those feelings and really like take care of yourself. But the second thing is to kind of take this like all consuming bonfire of rage and direct it in a really focused way to like the place where you can make the difference. And so for us, that was like really pushing our company leadership, like, Hey, we need to make a statement. Hey, we need to like draw more attention to this issue. Like asking our CEO, can you talk to the whole company about this? Posting really publicly on our social channels, like we really care about this, sharing the voices of Asians at work. I think those were really, you know, like for me, more impactful things where it's like, okay, like we are, you know, a 20 year old company that has a really established consumer brand. If Uh we say something and we really lead in this space and I'm able to push the company more towards that direction, then that's the best way for me to take like this bonfire of anger and rage and kind of focus it on like the one thing I can control. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how has that manifested within the company? I mean, it sounds like company leadership hopefully has taken a more active role and, and, and created a more active presence on social media. How, how has the, com- the culture of the company changed as a result of, of all of these efforts? Yeah, I think we've really thought about things a lot since, since the like murder of George Floyd. I think mm-hmm. that really like galvanized the country and sort of a national reckoning and also provided like a reckoning even within us and as a company. Yeah. I think we had yeah. prioritized diversity before and we, you know, like have a lot of women and a lot of people of color on our corporate board more so than like other companies. That's great. Yeah. Um, but we hadn't been doing enough like internally within our own employees, um, at least to like, you know, really, really focus on these issues. And so like a big thing that we were able to do for like the Asian community was like, we were able to actually like hire a therapist who came in and did a session for like the Asian employees of like, Hey, this is like what it's like to live as an Asian American. Here is like our historical sort of trauma of like race Mm -hmm. and discrimination in this country. And also Mm -hmm. like, here's how you deal with it. So she actually really went into like, Hey, you're going to see something really triggering on the news. It's going to be pretty frequent. How do you sit with that emotion, understand what it's doing to you and then kind of deal with it and process it. Right. As opposed to kind of like doom scrolling and getting stuck in this really emotional situation where, you know, like you, like it really hurts you and you can't go on and you can't like take action on it. Um, So I think like the big things that companies can do, and I actually wrote another medium post about this is like, one is like providing like financial resources to bring in experts who can really like guide your employees through this, right? Like we did not have a therapist specialized in like Asian American racial trauma on staff, but we did get the funding from the company to bring that kind of person in. So that's one is like events, programming, bringing in experts, We've contracted with a DEI um, group called the Justice Collective that is actually doing diversity um, training for the whole company. So that's one. I think the second thing is also the thing that we're trying to push for in our employee resource group is really looking at like the levels of like traditional DEI in terms of like, are we hiring underrepresented minorities? 
right? And once those people like get into the company, what is their representation and leadership? What is their promotion? Mm -hmm. So not only like, are we getting them in the front door, but like, are these people actually rising to become leaders at the company? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think a lot of companies try to to talk the talk it's harder for them to walk that talk um and it, it really does sound like i think survey monkey from from everything that i've heard and everything that i've heard from you and it's it's really a leader in the space so really really it's it's awesome to hear about it and hear about how, how hear about all the work that's gone into it um i think everyone who's listening go check out melanie's post on Mel- on on medium um melanie what's your what's your handle on on medium so people can find your post uh it's at melanie lay all right. At Melanie Lay, L-E-I, Melanie Lay. Um, go check it out. Give her a couple claps. Um, I think we've, we've pretty much finished our coffee. Uh, but before we, before we go, before we close our, our episode today, Melanie, what, what piece of homework or advice would you give um, to our listeners out there when it comes to increasing inclusivity, whether in products, within, within your company's culture? What, what can listeners take away from our conversation today? I think the biggest thing is to really think about how not all of your users are exactly like you. And I think that's one of the biggest intuitive mistakes that product managers make is like, we do rely on our gut a lot. And we kind of think humans naturally think a lot of like everyone else is like me. And so something that's really important to go through is like, go through your own product and try to look at it from the lens of a different person, like a person who is less familiar with technology, a person who needs assistive technology. Like, is your product accessible to those kinds of people? It's important to kind of like do those exercises. So, you know, like, Hey, not everyone's like me and doing Mm -hmm. that will also make you a much better product manager. I love it. All right. Melanie, thank you very much for for spending some time today. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Everyone out there, go check her out on Medium, at Melanie Lay. And thanks very much. Bye.